When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Get all the latest football headlines and bite-sized opinion in the brand new Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Join Mark Smith, Martin Gritton and a conveyor belt of guests as they dissect all the biggest stories in one small, perfectly formed package. Take five to ten minutes out of your day to stay up to date with everything that matters in football. Whether it's a big result from the night before, a new excuse from Jurgen Klopp, a shocker of a VAR decision or a new chapter in the ongoing Man United soap opera, we will cover it. All the latest news every weekday lunchtime on the Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Look for The Whistleblowers wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. A brilliant result to come from behind to beat Sevilla, thanks to 17-year-old Rico Lewis. A brilliant performance with against 10 men. Uh, sorry, with 10 men, stupid boy. I'm going to start that again. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair. A brilliant result to come from behind to beat Sevilla, thanks to 17-year-old Rico Lewis. A brilliant performance with 10 men to beat a plucky Fulham side at the weekend. And then we're going to be reporting on brilliant financial results for the club. Record revenues of, I think, 613 million and record profits of 41.7 million. That's more than double the previous club record. We now know our opponents in the Champions League round of 16. That's, of course, RB Leipzig. And if we get time after all that, we might talk about the 12.30 kickoff on Saturday against Brentford. To discuss that and much more, I've got three guests. Welcome to Sarah Messenger. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Nigel. Welcome to John Stapleton. Hi, John. Hi, Nigel. And welcome to Chartered Accountant, Tony Newgrosh. Good evening, sir. I say Chartered Accountant because you're going to kick us off. We're going to do the numbers first, Tony, and, and the other two will not have a clue, as you can appreciate. You know, not not a clue. Um, kind of journalist and women's football coach. I mean, what do they know about numbers, let's be honest. So let's kick off with you. They'll have a view. But, but Tony, just help us sort of navigate these numbers. These sound like staggering, brilliant numbers for the club. Yeah, quite astonishing, actually, um, particularly given the, the turbulence generally, we, which are coming out of coronavirus, and the club has bounced back brilliantly, as you say, turnover 613 million. That's the second highest ever recorded, a profit of, of 42 million. 
And that's before all the transfers that we made a significant slice of cash from this summer. So that will lead on nicely into next year's accounts. Uh, but it wasn't, it's not just the headlines that really sort of strike me purely financially. Um, if you look at some of the statistics that they've referred to in there, um, 99% occupancy of the Etihad Stadium, they refer to so much for the empty head. Uh, fan engagement at, I think, 87%. If we compare that to other clubs not so far from Manchester, I think you'll find that's a significant improvement. The average number of years that fans at City have been going to the ground for, 21 years. I know, you know, if you talk John Staples now, that would probably drop a bit. But even so, you know, we're not just new glory-seeking fans. We've been there and we thoroughly deserve it. Six of the last of the highest goal differences at the end of the season belong to Manchester City. Six out of the top nine, four out of the six highest number of goals scored in the Premier League season belong to Manchester City. And let's just remember where we've come from in a very, very short period of time. This was a team that was losing to Wickham not so long ago. So astonishing. But I mean, back to the numbers as a whole. Yeah, very strong balance sheet. We've got um, accumulated losses of £687 million on the balance sheet. So we won't be paying any corporation tax for a while. I'm pleased to report, but maybe that's not such a bad thing. But that's wholly supported by the amount of share capital that our investors uh, have put in. So the balance sheet as a whole is very well supported. There's only £5 million worth of interest payments being taken out of those profits every year. So we can clearly support uh, the investments that have been made and the numbers just keep going up and up. It's supported by, even though there was a drop in television revenue, uh, the level of commercial income has continued to rise that has supported those numbers. Our brand value, I don't have a number to hand actually, but it's the second highest in the world. There's only Real Madrid who are ahead of us. Again, just think where we've come from. You know, we were a toxic club, what, 15 years ago. So the figures are fantastic. We've made reported significant profit on the sale of players, as we say, even before the more high-profile transfers this summer. We've made huge sums from the, the sale of uh, juniors and players that perhaps most of us wouldn't have even heard of. Uh, the accounts refer to huge investment in the city of Manchester as well. We're a fantastic club. We're a fantastic footballing club. We're a fantastically well-run business. And we are a credit to the city of Manchester. Uh, and I think... Yeah, the one concern many of us may have had at the time of the takeover is would they would they strip out the soul of this club? Well, I think, you know, if we were to do a survey of the four rabid City fans on this podcast, I think our level of engagement with the club is higher than ever. I think apart from the old dodgy character they have on City Square on a Saturday afternoon, Nigel, it's uh, a great place to go. Uh, <laughs> it's a great atmosphere. I have no fears about taking my children and they haven't forgotten about the heritage and the history of the club. We're all still proud. It's still the same club we all love, just with a bit of shiny silverware. So fantastic results. I suppose the one caveat we should ask, and then I'll shut up, Nigel, sorry, is there is reference to this ongoing Premier League inquiry into, into the club. I don't know what's going to happen there. I suspect it will quietly go away, quite frankly. I think if something was going to happen, it would have happened by now. But that is is the one the one cloud on the horizon that's flagged up. But apart from that, no, it is just, it's fantastic news. Uh, and, you know, we have to say well done to the club. It's supremely well run. I mean, I was I was going to ask, are there any negatives at all? And, and mm -hmm. aside from the investigation, is there anything, 
can you find any other negative to say, Tony, within that? Obviously, you've given us all the positives, or is that how it is? Is it literally as positive as you write? Anything, anything negative else you could pick out from those numbers or from that report? No, very little. I mean, I haven't mentioned all the positives. You know, we're part of a worldwide family of clubs now. I think they refer to five of the other clubs have won titles uh, in the past six seasons. That balances off our risk, as it were, if, God forbid, you know, City were to take a downturn or there was just another pandemic <laughs> condemned to the UK, we would still have as a business uh, income streams from around the world. So, it is a fantastically well-run business. Nigel, I mean, you'll be very modest. I do believe you're also a chartered accountant of, of slightly retired age, but um, you, know, you know a bit about numbers as well. But no, I think there was nothing in there, albeit I've only managed to have a cursory look today, that you could say was problematical or, or highlighted issues that were perhaps being uh, uh, painted over at this stage. They they just keep heading northwards, the results. Let's let's just bring in Sarah and John as well for any anything to add. I mean, thank Tony. That's a really comprehensive report. I really appreciate that, and I'm sure uh, our listeners would appreciate it too. Kind of getting under the numbers a little bit and understanding a bit more about it. Sarah, your your thoughts and reflections on that set numbers before we get into the football. Yeah, I mean, I'll avoid the level of analysis that Tony's just done so brilliantly. Uh, just a couple of things struck me as well from the skim reading of it. One is. Um, the promise that the next decade is going to be even better than the decade we've just had, which, you know, is mouth-watering in terms of what that might mean and, and, and sort of fits, I think, with the very positive message that Tony gave us from the, from the, from the figures in the, um, in the accounts. But also, it just reinforces the fact that we, we're incredibly lucky to have the owners that we have and we know the flack that's gone on. We know that there'll always be some who will accuse us of being um, a state's plaything or um, that we're sustained or have been sustained only through oil money. Um, but we also know that the vast majority of fans of any club around the country would die to have had the opportunities that we've had in terms of the owners that we got and the success that they brought us. And I saw an interesting little poll this morning because apparently FSG have put at least part of Liverpool up for sale. I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but if they have, there was a poll of Liverpool fans and 63% of them said they'd be very happy if, in inverted commas, oil money was to buy Liverpool. So, you know, the, the hypocrisy we've lived with for 14 years isn't going to go away, but it, it, those, that report is enough to put a smile on any City fan's face, I think. John, anything to add to uh, our two contributors so far on the numbers? Well, on the numbers, I've just said that I think Tony should be appointed as Manchester City's PR because the the analysis he gave was so fantastic, which even a TV presenter could more or less understand. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it's staggering. <laughs> the, numbers, the numbers are staggering. The £42 million profit, I hadn't realised, does not take into account the transfer fees we received uh, during the summer, which are pretty substantial as well. I think they profit of about another £40, £50 million there. So, yeah, hats off to these guys. I mean, they, they've... Not only brought us success on the field, they brought us success in the boardroom as well, and as far as the accountants are concerned too. So, yeah, we still have this Premier League inquiry hanging over our heads, and as long as that's there, I suppose our enemies, some of whom I regret to say are in the media, will continue to write stories about the threat looming over us and the dark cloud hanging over Manchester City. But, you know, I think we can live with that, particularly given these figures and numbers and the analysis that Tony just, just gave us. I mean, it's, it's all looking incredibly rosy, and as you rightly say, those of us who are long in the tooth remember not just Wickham Warners but York City, you know, and life in Division Two where we were twelfth in Division Two and Jura came to save us. But uh, yeah, what what a remarkable turnaround and well done to all concerned. 
John, let, let's stick with the football then. And if you can Thank remember God. that far back. Uh, yeah, exactly. If we can go back to Sevilla. And just to remind you and, and uh, our listeners that Rico Lewis, 17, been at City since under eights, wow. uh, was in the starting lineup, scored his first goal. Cole Palmer also been with City since under eights. Uh, Josh Wilson Espran was in the side, was in the squad rather. Phil Foden, who came to the academy. What a story that is, isn't it? Oh, never mind the kind of the, the just, just, just help us celebrate that before we move on. Well, let's pay tribute to Jason Wilcox and all who've worked at the academy as well, you know, because actually those kids came through that that, that academy. And we, we, I think we gave, or well, most of them did anyway, we've given Southampton four of them. I think I've got at least one, if not two, at Burnley. We've, we've handed over, not necessarily through the academy, kids who are not making the first team. Uh, it's it's a staggering achievement. And 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 the boy, Rico, Rico well, what a what a debut! Who could ask for more? The other guy I'd mentioned as a result of that game against Seville is, is Alvarez, who you know, made two goals and scored one, scored another one on Saturday, and a cracking goal that was too. You know, tough for him. You know, living in the shadow of Haaland, as, as Jesus found out. You know, but he, I think, I think I, more, the more I see of this kid, Alvarez, the more I'm impressed. Actually, I think he's, is he the same age as, as Haaland, or maybe a tiny bit younger? Very impressive young player, works his guts out. I thought it was a bit tough for him to bring him off on Saturday, actually, because until that point, I thought he was perhaps our best player on the field. Although I have to say, once again, KDB was imperious, <laughs> at his imperious best. He was. Uh, your your reflections on that European game, Sarah, before we, we come on to the uh, the game against Fulham, uh, and, and those youngsters in particular, and, and how they performed? I think one of the points that Tony made around the connection with the club and the work that the club have done to sort of keep the connection with the fans and the sense that it's still the same club, in a way to me is beautifully captured by the emotion that you see on the face of Rico Lewis when he scored, it really matters to them. They love this club as well. And I think, you know, we've heard the Harry Kane, one of our own chants for a long time now. But I think for City fans, there is something very special about a lad from Bury uh, who supports City or a lad from Stockport who supports City making it and, you know, living the dream. And you feel like they, when they score a goal or they celebrate a goal, they're having the same emotional reaction that we're all having. And I do think that's special and important. So for that reason, I think it's it's great that these players are, are, coming, are coming through. We know that nobody will play for City unless they're good enough. I think Rico Lewis is a special talent. I think he, he potentially has got a future in the first team. When he's playing for uh, Doncaster Rovers in two years' time, you can play this clip back, Nigel. But at the moment, I think he's got a future in the team. Um, and, yeah, it was, a, it was a really, really enjoyable game to watch. So uh, York City and Doncaster Rovers have had, both had mentions. Let's see how many Yorkshire clubs we can get into this podcast before we're finished. Uh, Tony, your thoughts before we move our eyes towards Fulham uh, and 10-man ten, ten city. Uh, just your thoughts on some of these kids. Uh, obviously, Cole Palmer's already making an impact. Foden, <laughs> he's going to be off to the World Cup with England, of course. But then you've got uh, these new youngsters, the Josh Wilson S. Brand and Enrico Lewis, who particularly stood out with a goal and a fantastic debut. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said, it, it is great to see, isn't it? We, it's They're all living the dream and, and good luck to them. They, they've come into a club that's got a, a clear footballing philosophy and they've, they've bought into that. And the fact we can rest first team players, bring through such youth in a game like that. And it was just it was just a joy, wasn't it? It was a game for once. There was no real pressure on us for, to win. 
likewise Sevilla, I don't think they had anything to play for. It was just a it was a great game of football, certainly the second half as well. We all went home happy, Sevilla in the Europa League. All good. So, yeah, let's hope we see a, a bit more of them in the future. And it is, again, a credit to the club that we haven't forgotten that very important side of the game, which is to develop and to, to allow kids to dream within our club. We haven't just gone out and bought players and forgotten about the youth. They still have that opportunity. They've got to be very, very good, as Pep alluded to. But there is still that chance there and uh, we'll be behind them 100% every time they do get on the pitch. Let's start, Sarah, at the weekend with someone who we did spend a lot of money on, who decided to shove someone out of the way and give away a penalty and uh, found himself sent off. Uh, any argument about the pen first, just before we move on? Penalty sending off all day long, wasn't it? If, if only he'd had a Liverpool shirt on, Nigel, he might have uh, he might have got away with it. <laughs> you know, look, I mean, it, it was silly, and on the back of his silly mistake against Liverpool, it's it, it's it's frustrating that it was Cancelo, and he's never. He's never in, he's never been the most um, reassuring of defenders. I don't think he's a bad defender, but he's not a classic defender. And we've always accepted that you you pay a price for that in terms of what he gives us uh, moving forward and his ability on the ball and his ability to find a pass and and so on. Um, if, look, if it had been the other way around, we'd have all screen penalty. So it was one of those. I can't argue that it shouldn't have been given. What I would argue is it's another example with what happened again with Liverpool and Spurs the day after of what frustrates us all, which is the inconsistency. What looked like a fairly identical set of circumstances just ignored. And that's the frustration. But yeah, I, I, I don't think we can argue too much about it. John, you're nodding in agreement, I guess. Well, I you, you, you've got a view. I think it's a bit marginal, frankly. I mean, you see that kind of offence committed all the time during during matches. Why the referee uh, decided to to take the action he did in this particular instance, I'm not entirely sure. And Sarah's absolutely correct. The same offence the following day at Anfield went completely unhindered. And the same official, apparently. The guy, he was VAR for us, and he was the referee at Anfield. Uh, one day, you know, he says, yes, that's the foul. The next day, he says it isn't. Um, I, I don't think I have a great deal to complain about. And I also think, quite frankly, that the penalty we were awarded in, towards, uh, towards the end of the, in the very last minute of the game was a bit soft, to put it mildly. Uh, maybe Kevin De Bruyne bought it, but perhaps we deserved that anyway. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was very marginal. But the one thing it did do, of course, was, was spur on Manchester City in a way I've, even I've rarely seen them play with such grit, determination and resilience. And I, I suspect a deep sense of injustice because they believe rightly or wrongly that Cancelo should not have been sent off. And I think that inspired them to put on that performance, which I thought was absolutely stunning. I mean, absolutely amazing for 10 men to play for one hour and five minutes or thereabouts uh, against the team. As good as full. I mean, in fairness, you know, don't forget there were six or seven in the league before that, before that game. I thought it was astounding, actually. And you know, we had all the possession. Uh, the game was ours to take, and thank God in the end we, we did. So, yeah, maybe it was not a bad thing. And it was a good exercise in just showing how determined and, and resilient we can be. Something that stood out for me was we, we know how brilliant City are on the ball. We, we've see, we see that week in, week out, particularly going forward. But without the ball, I thought we were particularly good. I mean, they harried and they chased and and they just didn't give up as if it was kind of a, a crime not to have the ball. It was incredible. The intensity and, and, and the determination they all showed, Tony, that, that, that's what stood out for me. Yeah, and the way just everyone 
took the game by the scruff of the neck and said, you know what, I'm still going to win this match. You know, we had Bernardo dropping in at centre half at one point and Stones then moving into, you know, nobody panicked. And as we said, they would just galvanise the team. Um, you know, I think it's ridiculous to get a red card in that situation, quite frankly, for, for a nudge. But that is the rule at the moment. I suppose we have to live with it. I wish they'd change it, but so be it. Um no, fantastic energy. And I don't think anyone could say we didn't deserve the three points at the end, whether or not it was a soft penalty. And yeah, probably was, John, to be fair. And John, you mentioned KDB. Uh, Tony just mentioned Bernardo. I think I think those two, for me, stood out. I mean, both of them ran themselves into the ground. Yeah. I mean, the effort they put in was just phenomenal. But um, Bernardo covered pretty much every blade of grass on the Etihad pitch as well at the absolutely, same time. Absolutely stunning. And, you know, normally, normally a calm... He's in a, basically, essentially, a very intelligent, level-headed sort of guy. But to see him fired up like that and really angry, arguing with everybody, was said it all, frankly. And, you know... Maybe a bit more of that from the rest of the team from time to time would would, would not would not go amiss. But yeah, I thought he was superb. But well, he's been superb all season, and I just hope to God we can keep him for another year or so. But uh, we have to discuss that possibly a bit, little bit later, as indeed we have to discuss Pep's future too. But yeah, a, a huge asset to the club, fantastic, and never more so than on, at the weekend. Sarah, who, who stood out for you? I've mentioned a couple. Any anybody else, or would, would they be the two that are on the on your lips? I think they're the two. And I, just one quick point about Bernardo. Bernardo, I, I mean, look, we love him. As, a, as I, I've never met a City fan who doesn't love Bernardo Silva. And what he has is a very unique combination, I think. He has a he has the, the grit and the determination and the effort that traditionally over the years football fans have always admired in their team, you know, whether that's an, an Andy Morrison kind of figure or, you know, we've always liked players who just give their all, die for the course. Unfortunately, uh, with the, usually the players that we've liked like that haven't possessed the wand of a left foot that Bernardo has and the skill that he has and the ability to put one in the top corner. And so he has a really beautiful combination of grit, determination, effort, and a sublime level of football skill. And so it's very hard not to love him. And he's also, it seems to me, he seems to be a very nice guy with a good sense of humour. So, um, you know, if Bernardo ever does get to go and live in the sun, we will miss him desperately. Um, yeah, I suppose, thinking you, the person you just described, I think Pablo Zabaleta would fit that, that quite mm-hmm. nicely in, in recent memory. I would have thought he's probably the one I think sort of fits that best. Um, Tony, we haven't talked um, about Haaland, uh, who clearly Pep didn't feel he was fit enough to do a full 90 minutes, but what an impact he had when he came on. Yeah, I think he, he miskicked one soon after coming on. He scored one. I think his his ear was offside or something um, when they when they got their slide rules out and, and then was there and took not his best penalty, but still managed to get it over the line. Um just it's just it just gets better and better, doesn't it, with him? Oh, it's a fabulous story, isn't it? And it, yes, it galvanised not just the team, but the fans as well, wasn't it? And, and let's not forget Foden as well, I thought, who was magnificent when he came on. Um, but yeah, he puts the fear of God into defenders, didn't he? And probably should be, you know, was very unlucky with the headed goal that was disallowed. And it's a horrible feeling, isn't it, when you see those lines going up? But what can you do? But, you know, it would have been so easy to say, you know what, we're down to 10 men. It's been a bit unlucky today. We've had two goals disallowed will take the point but at no point did they look like settling for that they literally kept going till the 95th minute didn't they and got everything they deserved in the end yes it's hard to take when you're on the receiving end I get that but we absolutely deserved it but yes he's an absolute beast um and thoroughly thoroughly 
uh, will be a hero for this club for the next 20 years, please God. Um, I hesitate before I do this, Sarah. I do kind of every, every, occasionally I mention these two words. Um, I think I need to. Um, Jack Grealish, a um, bit of a Marmite character, I think, at, at City. I, I, I think I know where Mr Stapleton sits. Uh, we'll come to him in a moment. But I'll just start with you first. Just how did you think he performed? He didn't have, his, he didn't have a, a particularly good game. Um the problem with Jack Grealish is obviously the price tag and the fact that he's now in his second season. So we can't keep falling back on, well, Every most players take a while to adjust when they come into a pep team. I think we were... I suppose I'm what I'm not entirely convinced about is whether actually Jack Grealish is doing exactly what Pep wants him to do. He's just different to what we're all used to seeing Jack Grealish do and therefore we're getting frustrated or... Because actually there's a number of games where he's, he's played very well in terms of keeping the ball moving and what he's just not doing is creating, he's not causing us to get off our seats with excitement and jump around and think, oh, wow, that was amazing. Um, but then if I think about it, I'm not sure Grealish has, uh, sorry, Mares has ever done that in, in Bucketfuls. Um, he has a, you know, there's a very specific role for the players that play wide and yeah, do I want more from Grealish? Yes, because all football fans want more from their from their players who who possess the kind of quality he does. Do I think that he's a flop for City? No, not yet. Tony, is he a flop yet? He's certainly inconsistent, isn't he? And he's certainly got a lot more. I think he can deliver. You know, I want for a hundred million pounds from a player, someone who single handedly wins a game for us. Saturday would have been would have been a prime example of the sort of match when you just needed somebody apart from Haaland to uh, step up to the plate. So it, it is frustrating. We all know how brilliant he is on the ball, but it's a little predictable, isn't it? He gets the ball, he cuts inside, he hangs onto the ball, he gets fouled, he throws his arms up in the air, repeat ad infinitum. There's, there's definitely more to come there, I'm sure. And I, I hope he delivers because he can offer a lot to the team. Yeah, John, here's your opportunity every other week. Well, I, I, I feel bad about saying it, but I do say the same thing every week, and I'm going to say it again. I mean, my newspaper this morning gave him five out of ten. I thought that was quite generous, frankly. You know, I mean, what, Pep pulled him off at half time quite rightly. He, you know, he wasn't having any impact, and he does exactly as Tony says. You know, gets the ball on the left, he cuts inside, does the same thing every time. He beats one man, maybe two sometimes, but either passes it to the passes it to the opposition or, or gets tackled and falls over. End of story. You know, hundred million pounds? You're kidding. Let's talk about Pep then, John, because yeah. I don't quite remember him in, in a league game, halfway th- after sort of, you know, few few games, see him react quite the way he did at the end of that game. And I saw him sort of gather the players together and say, We're doing a lap of honour here. And yeah. it was him who it was him who made those players do that. Just well, not quite seen him like that. What do you read what do you read into that? Was it well, the I fact think, that I think it he- wasn't I'm sorry, I, th- I think he thought what, what I, th- I thought at the end of that game, that is arguably the best performance City have had all season. For, in fact, arguably for longer. It was a terrific achievement. And he was, he was you know, we all had a, our hearts were stopping throughout the game. Thinking, come on, come on, come on. And when Harlan scored, we thought he'd scored, and that, that was disallowed. Is it going to be one of those days? You know, as we've witnessed so often. And for once, it wasn't one of those days. And it was down to the sheer grit and determination, as I said earlier, of the of the eleven or thirteen in the end players who, who are on the pitch, and I think, you know, Pep in fairness he criticises him, he goes crazy on the touchline from time to time, but he is the first to recognise and acknowledge 
their achievement, and it never more so than, than on Saturday, and quite rightly so, in my view. Did you see anything different in Pep, Sarah? Or was that was that your interpretation as well? He seemed particularly animated. I thought at the end of that game. I think he knows how important those sorts of wins are. It, you know, it reminds me of the win we had when Sterling scored in the last minute against Southampton. I think it was. Um, you know, those those two points could well be crucial by come the end of the season. I mean, for all that City are uh, allegedly turning the Premier League into a one-horse, you know, uh, uh, what's the word, show? Race. Uh, Race, that's the word. Uh, You know, actually, other than I think about four years ago when we won it by 19 points, in the main, we've been involved in some pretty close title challenges and Arsenal aren't falling away at the moment. So... Uh, there's no reason why it won't be close again this season. Um, and I think he's, he's said, hasn't he, he just feels a sort of even greater level of connection with the club. He's moaned about the City fans at the Etihad a few times, but I think he feels that there's a an energy about the place that is important to the way the team performs. And I think that energy is really strong this year. So um, I suspect for all those reasons, he just all the emotions came out and he wanted to make sure that the players acknowledge what the fans are doing for them. Anything you add, Tony, on the, on the pet situation? Well, he certainly doesn't look like the sort of guy who's, who's winding down, does he? Um, there seems to be plenty of energy left in the tank there. And yeah, his bond with the club, the team, the players, the fans seems as strong as ever. So hopefully he'll be with us for, for many a year to come. Uh, we're going to talk about Brentford. Before we do that, uh, this is obviously the last game before we all go off to Qatar for the World Cup. And I just, uh, something I'm doing with my guests sort of leading up to the World Cup is kind of their view, kind of where you sit on this. Is this kind of so excited? It's, you know, the greatest show on earth, the greatest players around the world coming together to play in the World Cup. It's so exciting. Or do you see it slightly differently? Tony, where do you sit on, on the World Cup? How excited are you? Is it kind of... Uh, been slightly tinged this year with everything else that's gone on. Where do you sit on the World Cup? Is there a World Cup about to start? I must almost feel like I've missed that, to be honest. It's very odd, isn't it? It's two weeks away, and yet nothing. No no emotional attachment to it whatsoever. Uh, very mixed views about it being held in Qatar. I hear, I hear the arguments on both sides. It, it may well be a catalyst for positive change. On the other hand, uh, their human rights record is is somewhat disturbing. Um, but you know, I hate international weekends. Never mind international two months off, and we'll we'll see you in January. I mean, we had the Champions League draw. I'm sure we'll touch on. You know, that ties to be played in February and March. It's it's ridiculous. So you know, maybe that's just me being purely selfish. But no, I'm I'm struggling to get excited about it. I'm not particularly confident about England. I have to say, I've got mixed views about where and how it's being held the politics behind it and there just seems to be no particular build if I have not seen a single you know normally the flags are out on on the terraced houses etc but just just nothing at the moment no sorry John your flags are out no no my flags aren't out and we shouldn't be there should we I mean we wouldn't be there had they not bribed their way into, into the job in the first place which is what they clearly did it's an absolute outrage that we're there outrage that our season disrupted every every other European clubs Seasons are disrupted because of this farcical tournament in, 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 a, in a country that's ill-equipped to, to stage it in the first place and, and has, has got the job on the backs of hundreds, if not thousands of people, which are, can, can only be described as slave neighbour people who've died in, 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 the, in the process of creating this 
this farce in in, in their country. Their attitude towards gay people uh, is, is is appalling, and you know we should we should. I mean, I, I arguably all boycott it, but it's too late for that now. We're there, and we've got to learn to live with it. I think it's it's a sad sad day for football. I mean, I've got half an interest in it. If I've nothing else to do, I'll watch you again. But quite frankly, that sums up my attitude to the whole thing. Sarah, how would you summarise your thoughts? Well, I couldn't have put it better than John just has. I think it's appalling that we're having the World Cup there um, for all the reasons that Tony and John have just outlined. And also, I, I mean, I'm not remotely excited by it. I mean, I, I struggle to get excited about international football. But let's be honest, if it, when England got to the final of the Euros, we were, I, I suspect, reasonably interested in the outcome of that game. All I care about is that our, our players come back without some hideous injury that's going to keep them out of action for two or three months. Um, I mean, that's always a risk in the World Cup, even in the summer. But in the summer, you know that there's a probably a six to eight week recovery period after the end of the World Cup before we start the Premier League. Here, they've got a week. So um, that's the main thing I'll be concerned with, making sure our players come back fit and well. Let's go back to the city then. I think uh, all three of you put it beautifully and and, and thank you for your honesty and and your forthright opinions. I think uh, many people would share those views. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, Let's go back to city then. And and as Tony indicated, John, we, we now know kind of our kind of final 16 opponents in the Champions League were there again consistently. Um, that looks like a pretty good draw to me, doesn't it, when you look at uh, some of the other sides we could have got? Could have been far worse, couldn't it? Yeah, I, I looked up uh, RP likes, uh, Red, Red Bull likes, I guess I should give them their full commercial name. Uh, six in the Bundesliga at the minute, not having a fantastic season, but doing, doing okay, you know, not, not to be... Uh, not to be written off by any manner of means, but yes, it could have been far, far worse. I think, um, fingers crossed, uh, we're through to the next round. That's uh, through to the next round. You'd like to think, wouldn't you? That, that at least, uh, at least get to the last eight. Uh, RB Leipzig, not the strongest of opponents, Sarah. No, I mean it's you know it's a, it's a good draw, and actually, interestingly as well, the other draws really help us. I mean, four of the teams that we might have been more worried about facing are going to be playing each other, so two, at least two of them are going to go out, um, which is never unhelpful. Uh, you, you can you, the thing with the Champions League is even when it's a team that we know on paper we should beat, you can never completely. I mean, we lost two one there last year. I know it was a game that didn't matter, but we had a red card for Walker. You just never, you just never know. But uh, it, if all things go according to plan, we should definitely be through to the next round. Yes. Tony, anything to add? No, good draw. We uh, the only team that can beat us is ourselves in that tie. So. Uh, we should go through. Um, kick us off then, finally, then, Tony, with uh, the weekend early kickoff, Saturday 12.30 against Brentford. Your thoughts and reflections uh, ahead of that game? Uh, well, let's give some credit to Brentford, a very, very well-run club. I think they've done very well. Uh, I don't think they'll they'll park the bus, but it's nice to say we're more than capable of beating them. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game a lot. It's... Uh, it should be a good send-off. This will be our fourth consecutive home game as well. So we should be well-versed with the Etihad. And it should be a comfortable victory, to be honest. I'm looking forward to it. Comfortable victory, Sarah? In well, the bag. Hopefully. Like last Saturday, I yeah. That, I know that Ivan Tony had a rest at the weekend because he was spanned for a game. And then I... So I thought, hmm, I'd rather he hadn't had a rest. And then I noticed that they're investigating him for betting uh, irregularities. So I... 
thinking, oh, maybe they can come up with a verdict on that before Saturday because he is their main threat. And God knows, let's not give a penalty away because he's a he's a very good penalty taker. But yes, I mean, we it, it's a game we should win, and I'm pretty confident we will. Uh, final words with you, John Stapleton. Your thoughts ahead of the weekend game against Brentford. Well, Brentford's my local team. I live uh, just across the river from Brentford, and it's a fabulous little club, I can tell you. run by some very, very nice people. Great family atmosphere, great atmosphere in their new stadium. Very tight if you've been there. You know, the crowd are very loud throughout throughout each game. And Brentford are not a bad team. I think they're on 16 points at the minute. You know, they're, they're, I've seen them twice at the stadium this season already. Once against uh, Chelsea, and they gave Chelsea a very good run for them. And I don't think we've much to fear against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup, by the way. I saw them against Arsenal, I saw them at Brentford, and frankly, I found deeply impressive. So, uh, nothing to fear. Uh, Brentford have nothing to fear. Sorry, Brentford. Man City, I don't think have anything to fear from Brentford at the end of the day, but they're not a bad little team, you know, and they're a bit up and down. I saw them against Wolves. Wolves were atrocious, playing for time the whole game. They, they got on top of that. Uh, I would say a comfortable win for City, yeah, but don't forget, last time we played them, I think at Brentford was the last time we we only won 1-0. They put five across yeah. the back. Uh, so there are no slouches, you know. So yeah, fingers crossed. But I'd say comfortable victory at the end of the day. We've not had time to talk about City Chelsea. That's because City will win three um, one. You heard it. You heard it here. You heard <laughs> yeah. it here first. Huge thanks to my three guests: to Sarah Messenger, to Tony Newgrosh, and to John Stapleton. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show. Check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.